All right, let me know if this has been you. Uh, you're in your house or your apartment, wherever you live, and you've got somewhere to be in a certain amount of time, and you've got everything ready, and you're ready to go out to your car, uh, but you can't find your keys. And so you go back inside, and you are uh, running around, looking everywhere, frantically trying to find uh, your key so that you can get going to where you need to go. And sometime later, maybe 15, 20 minutes after searching uh, the whole house, you realize that the keys you've been looking for have been in your pocket the whole time. Has that, that ever been you? I know I've I found my place, uh, find myself in that place at time. And uh, my, my point is this. I, I think often um, this is how we walk with God. This is how we live the Christian life. We spend so much time frantically searching for some key to, to a spiritual life, to a transformed life, and we don't realize that we already have everything we need in Christ. And so we are in a, a series here at One Hope called Becoming Whole, where we're looking at biblical transformation. And today, this is what we're going to see. In Christ, we already have everything we need to live a transformed life. In Christ, we already have everything we need to live a transformed life. And what we're going to do today is uh, pick up where we left off last week. Last week, we looked at a story of Jesus healing a man in John chapter 5. And today, we're going to finish that story. We're going to look at the second part and see what happens after Jesus heals this man. So we'll be in John chapter 5, verses uh, 9 to 18. You go ahead and go there in your Bibles. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here, here at One Hope Church. And it is good to be with you. Uh, we are so glad you're here. Wherever we find you today, we hope you are blessed by this sermon, encouraged by it, and challenged by it. So let me go ahead and pray for our time, and then we'll jump into John chapter 5. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you pursue us. You lead us. You guide us. You empower us. You fill us with your spirit. This whole work of transformation is your work. And so I pray today that we would uh, receive from your word, that we would learn what it means to rest in you and to receive from you and to reflect on who you are and what you are doing. The Holy Spirit, come. Nothing will happen without your power. And so I pray now that you would work through my words, through the power of your word and in your people. We give you this time. We pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Well, let me just recap what happened last week. We opened up in John chapter 5, and what we saw was Jesus uh, goes into a temple, uh, to a place called the, uh, the Pool of Bethesda, and there there are a multitude of disabled people we saw, and Jesus uh, finds this one man, this one man who had been disabled for 38 years, that this had become his identity, this had become his life, and he engages with him uh, in conversation, and he asks him this question, do you want to get well? And then he has a talk with the man, and then he just heals him by the power of his words. He says, get up and walk. And what we saw last week for us is that each of us, we have to ask this question in our hearts. Do we actually want to get well? Are we willing to give our whole selves to Jesus, to risk it all with him and his goodness? And today we're going to see what happens after this man was healed. So here's what happens. We'll pick it up in uh, the second half of verse 9. Here's what we read. Now that day, the day that Jesus healed this man, it was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. And he replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. It's just following Jesus. Well, who is the man who told you, Pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who, had, who was healed 
He did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd um, that was there. And so picture this. I mean, this guy has just had a miracle done in his life. His whole identity has been changed. His, he's, he's, he knows a whole new world now. And for the very first time, he's picked up his mat and he's walking. And what happens? The Jewish uh, religious people, the religious leaders, they come and they begin to criticize him, saying, don't you know this is the Sabbath? You can't be working. You can't be picking up your mat and walking. Because what, what the, Jews, the Jewish people had, the Jewish leaders, they had taken uh, God's goodness and God's instruction to an extreme where it became all about rules and regulations. And so here they are. They don't care that this man was just healed. They don't care that he was radically transformed. They're not rejoicing with him with what's happened. All they care about is, hey, you can't do that. That is not in accordance with the rules and regulations. And what the man says is, look, I'm just following Jesus. I'm just doing uh, what he told me to do, even if it is on the Sabbath. He's so overjoyed and rejoiced. But what he's met with by the religious people is criticism. How crushing that might have been. And sometimes this is what happens when, when someone comes to know Jesus. And maybe this has been your story. You come to know Jesus. You've given your life to him. You're beginning to follow him and walk with him. And all of a sudden, people start criticizing you or telling you, this is what this needs to look like. See, the beauty of, 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 of the gospel is it's not about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And it's about following him. Now, when I was first exploring Christianity, Years and years ago, uh, I was coming to understand who Jesus was, but I happened to be dating uh, a gal who was, uh, who was Jewish, and she knew enough about her religion uh, to make sure I knew that Jesus was not who he said he was. He was not the Messiah. And so here I am getting excited about what I'm experiencing and learning about Jesus, and this person that I deeply care about is telling me well, you, that's actually not who he is. And so sometimes this is how it happens for us. That when we start to follow Jesus, we are met with opposition from the world, from the enemy, from our own flesh. And here, they're getting it from the religious leaders. But this is happening in our own day, too. And it's not just the religious leaders. Everyone has their set of rules that you have to follow to find life, to find freedom. And there's a version of that which is kind of fundamental uh, legalism and, and Christianity. You have to follow these rules, and it has to look a certain way. But it's also on the other side. If you go to um, nonconformity, you need to follow the rules of doing whatever you want, and it needs to look this way. You need to reject God, and you need to reject what God's Word says, and you need to follow your heart, and you need to do whatever you feel. See, that's just another set of rules. But a relationship with Jesus is what really matters. It's not about the rules and regulations. As when we talk about transformation, see, transformation doesn't follow an obedience model. You don't obey in order to be transformed. You are transformed so that you can obey. That's the way the gospel works. And so this man now, having been healed uh, and having been criticized by the Jewish leaders, well, he's maybe not sure what to do. But there's good news for him as there's good news for you and I. Let's look what happens next. John 5, 14. After this, Jesus found him in the temple. Jesus found him in the temple. Here's the great part about knowing Jesus. He will come find you wherever you are. And this man, he had gone to the temple to worship God, which is a fantastic response if you've just been healed. 
that you go to, the worship, uh, to worship God in the temple, the place where God is supposed to be. And this is exactly where Jesus finds him, in the temple, worshiping God. And here at One Hope, I mean, we, we believe this. We believe when we come together to worship, you know, uh, in our Sunday services, we believe that Jesus is there and Jesus finds people there. And so this is a great place to, to come to worship God and Jesus will find you. But he will find you wherever you are. You see, he will never abandon us. He will always find us. He will always pursue us. And this is really what makes uh, living a transformed life possible is that Jesus is with us, that you and I are not alone. So what does a transformed life look like? It looks like walking with Jesus because Jesus is with you. In fact, in John 5, 17, if, you, if we continue on in the story, here's what Jesus says to the Jews who finally come after him and uh, start criticizing him for working or healing on the Sabbath. Here's what he says. Jesus responded to them, look, my father is still working and I am also working. And friends, Jesus is still working today. This is how transformation is possible. Jesus is still working today. He is alive and well in heaven, reigning and ruling and doing miracles in people's hearts every day. And so Jesus comes and he finds this man. And what does he say to him? Let's continue in John 5, 14. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, see, you are well. Now, the word there, see, is actually behold, which is a much stronger word. It means to think about, to contemplate, to reflect on, to remember, to, to really think about what has happened. In week one, we talked about how we're transformed. We looked at 2 Corinthians 3.18. We said that it is by beholding the person and the work of Jesus that we are transformed. And so this is what Jesus is coming and saying to this man. Behold, look, think on, consider, you are well. Look what's happened. Look what I have done for you. It was Jesus who healed the man through the power of his words. It was Jesus who made the man whole. It was Jesus who transformed his life. And so when we think about what does it mean to live a transformed life, the first thing we saw was that Jesus finds us. But that in that, Jesus also reminds us. He reminds us of what Jesus has done, that this has all been the work of Jesus. Jesus saved us. Jesus gave us a new heart. Jesus changed us. Jesus filled us with his spirit. It's all the work of God. Jesus is saying, look what I have done. Know who I am. And so part of living a transformed life is this. It's remembering what Jesus has done. But it's also remembering what he is doing because he's still working. And so Jesus finds us. Jesus reminds us of what he's done, and then Jesus guides us. Let's look at the last part of John 5, 14. He says, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Now, we may not like this part of the verse so much. Jesus has made us well. Jesus has healed us. Jesus is transforming us. Now, go and sin no more. Now, what is he saying? Why does he say this? Well, basically, he's saying this, being transformed means living a transformed life. Being transformed means living a transformed life. It's mean looking at what Jesus has done and living in light of that, applying it to your life. Now, what Jesus, uh, what Jesus is saying is that your life will look differently. And this is, this is all throughout the New Testament, that when we meet Jesus, our lives must look differently. Differently, they will because a transformed life results in transformed 
living. Now, Jesus is not saying that this man will never sin again. He's just saying that you are no longer under the dominion of sin. That for the first time in your life, you have a choice to not sin and to follow God. I mean, this is what Paul says in Romans 6 and 7. First off, in Romans 7, he talks about his ongoing struggle with sin. And then a chapter earlier in John, or sorry, Romans chapter 6, he says that we've been given a new heart, that we have been transformed. We're no longer under the dominion of sin, the rule of sin, the power of sin, the command of sin, but we are rather under grace. And because we are under grace, we have a power that we never had before. We have the power to say yes to Jesus and to say no to sin. We have the power to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. It's a new power. That's why he says in Romans 12, 6, 12, and 14, don't present your members, your body, your life as instruments of sin, but give them to God as instruments for righteousness. So there's a choice that we can make. This is why Jesus tells the man, you have to live a new way. Don't sin anymore. Don't make a practice of sinning. And he tells him this because this man has entered into a whole new way of life, into a whole new territory. He is now free. He's free to do things that he never could before. He could walk and go wherever he wants. And so because of this newfound freedom, there's actually a whole bunch of new ways that he could sin. And so Jesus says, you are free, but don't use your freedom to sin, which again is something that's reiterated all over the New Testament. Look at Galatians uh, 5.1, Paul says, look, we are, we've been set free to live free. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't submit to sin. Or a couple verses later, verse 12, he says, look, you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another. We have been freed from sin, from its effects, from its dominion. So let's not use our freedom to go indulge in sin. That's not who we are anymore. That's not what we're made for. And so this is what Jesus is saying to the man. Go and sin no more. Don't make a practice of sinning. Live a transformed life is what he's saying. Or something worse will happen. Now what's he talking about there? Ultimately he's talking about the reality of hell. We talked about it a few weeks ago. When we don't repent, it means we never turn back to God. We never return to God. We just keep running our own way. Now, Jesus is not suggesting that someone can lose their salvation. We know that from other parts in the Bible, for example, John 6, 39, where Jesus says, um, I will not lose any that the Father has given me. But he does need to make it important that something does fundamentally change when we believe in Jesus. And because of that, because we have been transformed, our life will look different. We will live a transformed life. And so we need to pay attention to our lives. We need to see, uh, is it actually changing? And so the question really becomes this. Well, how do we do this? How do we live a transformed life? What does this actually look like? How do we get this out of the, the pages of the Bible and into the pages of our life? How do we actually do this? Well, we've said in Christ, you have everything you need. So how do we unlock this power practically? What does this look like? The first thing we need to do, probably the most important thing in our culture, it's the most counterintuitive, most countercultural, otherworldly thing. It's against our self-help culture. It's against our feeble religious attempts. It's against every inclination of the human heart towards pride. 
We need to rest. We need to rest. Even as I say those words, I just, I just feel this, this sense of relief. We need to rest. We need to stop moving, stop thinking, stop obsessing over things. Stop distracting ourselves. Stop filling our head with constant information or shows or distraction or podcast or audiobooks. We need to rest. We need to stop. And rest is simply this. Rest is being with God without an agenda. It's spending time with God. Not to get something from him, but to just be with him as you would a good friend or your spouse. To just to just sit with him, to rest, to rest with God without an agenda. And the irony is is, is not lost on me that this passage happens on the Sabbath, a day that is meant for rest, that we're called to rest in him. But see, the the Sabbath isn't about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about spending time with him, resting with him. Resting is, 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 is resting in the finished work of the cross. That Jesus cried out, it is finished. It's finished. And so what are you striving for? Who are you striving for? Jesus has already done it. I mean, this is at a spiritual level. We are completely free. Resting. And so what does resting look like? Many of us, we don't know how to rest. And, and resting is not a, just a day off. Resting is spending time with God. It's enjoying one another. It's enjoying him. It's spending time with your family. It's, it's, it's having a good meal. Maybe it's watching a movie together. It's having a cup of coffee in the morning. It's not being in a hurry somewhere. It's just being. It's getting away from technology and all the distractions. It's taking a break. It's taking a nap. It's slowing down. This is what rest looks like. It's worshiping God. It's a way of saying, it's, it's a way of this, it's trusting God that the universe is going to be okay without you. That God will continue to run the universe without your input or your help. This is rest for our souls, for our bodies, for our minds, for our hearts. It's something we desperately, desperately need in our culture. So how do we do that? What does that look like? I want to share with you a book um, that I have found incredibly helpful. Um, It's called uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And it's the only book that I have ever listened to straight through two times in a row. Listening is how I I read books. Uh, But it's the only book that that I've listened to straight in a row, two times in a row. Of course, I did listen to it at at one and a half speed uh, because I was in a hurry. But um, it was that good. It was that impactful for me. And I think in many ways, this is an antidote to our culture of hurry, of rushing, of distraction. And I would encourage you to, to pick this book up and read it over the holiday season. It was that powerful. In fact, I want to give away um, a couple copies here. So if you're online and you're interested in getting a free copy of this book, go ahead and just comment. Uh, I want a book and um, we'll do it how we normally do it. Whoever submits, we'll do a, just a random selection, and, and we'll send a book out to three of you. So uh, if that's you, if you want a book, go ahead and comment, and um, we'll, we'll let you know who wins. But this book has been um, so incredible, incredible for me. And he unpacks rest really in, in these ideas, silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, 
uh, slowing down. So let me just comment briefly on these because, again, I think they're so helpful. Now, this idea of silence and solitude, this, I mean, this is just it. It's, it's slowing down. It's sitting somewhere quietly. Maybe this is quiet time with God. It's being intentional about taking time to just sit in silence, an inner silence and an external silence. It's getting free from distraction, allowing yourself to think, to process, getting to a place where you can actually hear from God. And one of the hardest things for us to do is to just sit in silence. I mean, we live in the age of distraction. It's just constant, a constant barrage of things for our attention. One of the things I did after reading this book is I literally went onto my phone and I turned off all of my notifications. Now, if you have an iPhone, they're, they make it pretty difficult. You have to go app by app and turn off the different forms of notification. I turned most of them off. I kept messages, uh, my messenger on and a couple other things that I wanted to receive notifications. I turned everything else off. And I can't tell you how freeing that's been because we live in this age of distraction. And by the way, if you have not watched the uh, Netflix documentary, so The Social Dilemma, I would highly encourage you to do that because it uncovers uh, uh, some of the things that are going on underneath, that, that your attention is literally a commodity to be sold. And so things are, are organized and programmed in our devices to keep us distracted. It's, it's a pretty insightful uh, documentary. I would encourage you to, to look at it. But Silence and Solitude... Is, is saying no to all the distraction, all the information, and just sitting, just being silent, alone, solitude, sitting with God. It's one of the things that, that most of us desperately need. And this can look like, like throughout your day, moments, maybe that's a, a quiet time, but it also looks like a Sabbath, a, a literal day uh, uh, to, 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 to be with God, to rest. You know, isn't it interesting that the Sabbath was was given uh, as part of the created order, as if God knew that we were going to need to be told to rest, to stop working, to stop thinking, just rest, just be with me, just enjoy me. So maybe this is it's taking a 24-hour period once a week to just relax, to just rest and be with friends, be with family, have a good time, do something fun, do good to others, worship the Lord, share a meal, have a game night, take the time off. Trust that the universe will continue without you. So taking a Sabbath. He talks about simplicity, living a simple life, and realizing all the things that we put into our homes, all the gadgets, the latest and greatest, that they come with a cost, cost of maintaining them, the cost of updating them, whatever that is, taking care of things. This quote comes to mind, you know, the things that we own end up owning us. So where can we simplify? Do we really need this or that in our life? Because it comes with a cost. And so where can we simplify? And then slowing down, literally just slowing down. I mean, these all kind of work together. Take a breath. Take a deep breath for like a minute. Just breathe. Take a break. Go for a walk. Clear your head. <laughs> Some of the funny things in this book uh, that, it, that it recommended Listen to this. Um, what about just driving the speed limit somewhere? Whoa. So uh, I actually started doing this. Um, not really when I'm trying to get somewhere, but 
I kind of have a drive that I, that I will do around here to just help me think, and I'll just drive the speed limit. It's fantastic. I don't have anywhere to be. People are whizzing around me and probably mad at me, but just going the speed limit. Yeah, try that. Or maybe coming to a, a full stop at a stop sign. Oh, we're in such a hurry all the time. Our souls are just hurried. But these, these are some of the ideas of what it means to rest. So you want to live this out, you want to really dig into that, I'd recommend getting that book. So helpful. And what happens is when we slow down in silence and solitude, it allows us to actually reflect. So we need to spend time in reflection. We need to reflect. Many of the Psalms are reflections of what's going on. And this is what Jesus says to the man, right? He says, behold, see you are well. Reflect on what's happened. Reflect on what is happening. And this is self-reflection, but it's also reflecting on who God is and what he's done. Something that uh, has stuck out to me, I've, I've read a lot of biographies. I'm, I'm currently reading, well, listening, I should say, uh, to, to one on Truman, uh, Harry Truman. And what sticks out to me uh, in many of these older biographies is they're always referencing this person's diary. And so the, the art of journaling has been lost in our age. The art of self-reflection. And this was something that seemed to be fairly normative, that you would journal at the end of your day or throughout your day, oh, here's what's happening, here's what I'm thinking, and to be able to process and slow down. This is not something we do. It takes too much time. I'm too distracted. But the power of self-reflection and reflect on our lives, realize our struggles, what are our needs, and then allows us to reflect on who God is. And most importantly, God's love for us. That's why the word is so, so important. We take time to, to sit in silence and, and we reflect, we, we read the word, we hear about who God is and we're reminded about who he is. And we can meditate on God's love for you, that he loves you. Whatever you're going through, he's there, he's gonna find you. He's gonna empower you, he's gonna work in you, he's gonna walk with you. So reflecting on God's love, which is the most powerful, transformative force in all of creation. God loves you. So this is living a transformed life. It's resting. It's reflecting on and, and living a life uh, of Jesus. Because when we slow down and we reflect and we're able to hear from him, now we can, we can hear and we can, we can do what he says. We can go where he's leading us. We can receive what he wants us to receive, which is the next thing I think we need to do. We rest, we reflect, and we receive. We need to receive from God. God and God wants to give abundantly. And he wants to give us grace. You see, grace is an active agent in our life. It's not just a theological concept. And this is meaning not relying on ourselves. It's not something we can do. Grace is given and it empowers us because, again, Jesus is working. And Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. It was effective. It was powerful. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, any of the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God uh, that was in me. See, grace is operative in our life. It empowers us. It changes us. It's a force within our lives, and it's there for us to take hold of, to obtain, it says. Romans 5.2 says, 
says, we have obtained access through him, through Jesus, by faith into the grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of the Lord. See, we are standing in grace. We have access to grace. So look at Hebrews 4, 16. I love how this words it. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Again, into the presence of God that's available to us, to sit with him, to be in his presence, so that we may receive mercy, forgiveness of sins, and what? Find grace in, uh, to help us in a time of need. We approach him and we find grace. This word find, to discover, can mean to obtain grace. And God wants to give it. We just have to receive it. We just have to take it. And so many of us were running around frantically in our lives trying to find the key to success or the key to transformation or the key to fulfillment or purpose. And we don't realize that the key's already in our pockets. All we have to do is take it out and use it, what God has given to us. Finding grace is realizing that God has already given it to you. The keys are in your pocket. And so when you take them out and use them. And so this grace as a power in your life is also known as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit acting in your life. It's resurrection power. Paul says in Romans 8, 11, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. This is God's grace at work through the Holy Spirit. It's what it means to live a spirit-filled life, a spirit-led life. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us always. We realize that Ephesians says the moment we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and he lives in us. This is the power at work with us. This is why Paul tells us in Galatians to walk by the Spirit. This is what it means to live a transformed life a grace-empowered, spirit-filled life. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you, won't, uh, you certainly will not carry out the desires of the flesh. See, see here, though, Jesus saying, do not sin anymore. Live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Or Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, and we do have life by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. See, this is the source of power in the believer's life, in the Christian's life, and it's available to us. We've just got to stop running around trying to find something that we already have. And be assured that the enemy wants to keep you distracted, and your flesh wants to keep you distracted, and the world certainly wants to keep you distracted. But God's words tells us the truth. And so we simply need to slow down to reflect, to hear from God, and to receive, and to take what we already have and put it to use. I love how Peter puts it in 2 Peter. Let me read a couple verses here. He says this, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness, transformed life. Through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness, Jump down to verse 9. The person who lacks these things, he talks about what it means to grow in these things. The person who lacks in these things is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. See, we forget what we already have. And then verse 12, I love this. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already, even though, even though you already know them and are established in the truth that you now have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to wake you up with a reminder. See, Peter knows we need to be reminded. We are so prone to forget, prone to distraction, prone to frantically looking around for what we already have. 
But Peter says you already have everything you need to partake in the divine nature and to live a transformed life. And so this is, this is where we're left. Will you take what you already have and live it out? Will you take the keys, get in the car, and go to where God is leading you? Because here's what it is. You know what the destination is for us spiritually? I mean, ultimately, it's heaven. Until we get there, it's Christ-likeness. This is where we're all going, and the keys are the gospel. This is what opens it up for us. The vehicle is the spirit. The fuel is the gas. Uh, The fuel is uh, the grace. And Jesus is driving that car. So we're just along for the ride. Now, we like to, to try to take control, but this is the transformed life. It's with Jesus because he finds us. It's we're being reminded of what he's done, and it's living a transformed life. And so the question really is just this, will we do it? We already know what we have to do. We already know what we have. Will we go and do it? Will we stop frantically looking around and take the keys we already have and go get in the car and, get, uh, and take the journey together? Will you do this? Will you rest? Will you reflect? Will you receive from God? And let's do that together. Because the truth is, in Christ, we already have everything we need to live a transformed life. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are here and you are ready to give, to give more life, to give more grace, to give more measure of your spirit, to make us more whole, to finish the work that you began. God, help us to realize and see what we already have and to walk in the power of the Spirit by the grace of God, according to the word of God. God, we love you. We thank you. Pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your Spirit.